HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. And I'm your host, Erica Watts. And I have lived in New York City for almost 30 years. Mm. Yes. I came here after high school for college, and I never left. 30 years. So you can figure out how old I am. I'm going to leave soon. It's coming. I am almost ready because I can't take it anymore. I'm not going to get into what I can't take, but I can't take it anymore. Hopefully within the next five years, we're going west, someplace cool and dry, but not quite yet. Not yet. So I endure. We New Yorkers, we put up with shit. Shit that people in other cities don't even dream about putting up with. Shit that we have to deal with. People don't get it in other cities because they don't live here. They don't know. The baseline level of discomfort and aggravation that we all put up with, but that slowly and steadily drives you insane, that kind of stuff. Eventually, you don't even notice those things until they disappear. And then when they're gone, you think, oh, suddenly something's missing from my life and I can't figure out what it is. And that only seems to happen once you leave and you move to Portland or Boise or Louisville or somewhere cool. Like that. And you suddenly realize, oh, life can be like way better and more comfortable. Now, in all my years of living here and in all my many and varied apartments, and I've had quite a few, I've lived with what I call the New York apartment constants. Too much heat or extreme shivering cold in the winter? Check. Sweltering or not enough AC in the summer? Check. 
endless noise from street neighbors, clanging pipes, airplanes, helicopters, sirens, buses, street performers, motorcycles, dogs. Check. Roaches? Well, not everywhere, actually. Now, I've dealt, I've dealt with my share of roaches and mice and other vermin in my home over the years, but... 20 years ago, when I bought my mercifully cheap, at the time, loft in Brooklyn, I seem to have found my vermin-free paradise. Nary a roach in sight. My theory was that the angry-faced, super scary, surly Romanian superintendent, who I thought actually hated me, but it turned out I just wasn't tipping him enough to get him to like me, I thought he was just keeping out the bugs and the critters just by being his surly, stern, kind of mean Eastern European self. I figured that he basically bullied and terrorized the bugs into staying away. I was so scared of him that I just thought the vermin were too. And I saw Nary Aroach for 17 years. One or two big so-called water bugs, which is... For some reason, the euphemism we use here in New York for gigantic roaches, we call them water bugs. One or two would scuttle through every summer, but, you know, one quick whack of the heel of my chef's clog and splat, dispatched, gone. But then something changed, and suddenly we got buggy in my apartment. Now, I'm pretty sure it's because there's some construction going on within the, like, ventilation ductwork depths of the building. And I think that must have bugged the bugs. It disturbed them because suddenly in my once roach-free home, we had roaches. Big ones, baby ones, and weird-looking ones of a species I've never seen before. It's like they had been living somewhere deep in the walls, unseen by humans, and suddenly they were being seen. So we brought in the exterminator. Despite my fear and loathing of all things chemical, sometimes you just have to call in the big guns. So the exterminator came, and now, instead of scuttling, running, hiding roaches, we have staggering, upside-down, flailing, dying roaches. They crawl out to die, and often they're upside-down. It's really pretty. It looks like the Civil War battlefield scene from the end of Gone with the Wind acted out by insects, like a cast of thousands of roaches. Now, as a chef and person who makes her living screaming at, okay, exhorting people to eat real food, the irony of killing and discarding these potential sources of protein who are freely roaming my kitchen, like tiny wild-raised game animals or tiny grazing pastured cattle just there for the harvesting, that irony is not lost on me. I know all sorts of insects are eaten all around the world and that they're a valuable and sustainable source of protein for bazillions of people on Earth. Just not us. 80% of the world's population regularly eats over 1,600 different species of insects. Yeah. But we Americans, we don't do bugs. Oh, we'll stuff our chubby faces with unlimited farmed shrimp at the buffet, or we'll pay $17 for a tiny lobster roll from a food truck, or we'll spend sweaty summer nights hitting crabs with a mallet and picking out annoyingly tiny bits of meat and shell, which is why I love soft shell crabs, by the way. But those, those are all okay, because those critters, the shrimp and the crabs and the lobsters, the arthropods, they come from the sea. So if it crawls across the ocean floor, we call it a delicacy. If it crawls across your kitchen floor, we smash it with a shoe. 
we discriminate based on evolution. As merely possessing the ability to breathe underwater suddenly designates a creepy crawly thing with a hard shell and buggy eyes and multiple legs a tasty Epicurean delight. Well, land breathers, well, we just step on you. So this bug infestation in my apartment was all coming to a creepy crawly traumatic roach apocalypse head in mid-October, which coincidentally was when I left town to go attend and be a part of the Roots 2014 conference at the Chef's Garden in Milan, Ohio. Now, I've had a decade-plus-long relationship with the Chef's Garden, the farm, and the family who runs Farm the Joneses, and I've been there as a guest chef and as a teacher and a participant in various events and just as friend. And I was really honored to be asked to participate in the conference this year as a moderator for a couple of panels. Now, the Chef's Garden, which I've mentioned here many times before, and Lee Jones, one farmer, has been on my show years ago. But if you don't remember, the Chef's Garden is a farm that grows hundreds and hundreds of varieties of specialty vegetables. They really brought the microgreens to the U.S. along with hundreds of heirloom species. And they grow those vegetables very slowly and very gently without any chemicals or animal manure or fertilizers or anything other than green compost that they produce themselves. So it's beyond organic. They're not organic. They are like hyper-organic. And then they sell that stuff to the top chefs and restaurants around the world at a high price, but it's worth it. And also now to the home cook. You can get a CSA and home delivery through them. Now, along with the farm, they also have their educational arm, which is the Culinary Vegetable Institute, which is a place for chefs and their teams and other food people to come for a retreat or for a meeting and to experiment and collaborate and experience the farm firsthand and to work with the farm creating projects and products. And it's also a venue for hosting Earth to Table dinners and events. And I've done a couple of those Earth to Table dinners and events. And they also host this conference. Now, this was the second year of the conference. I didn't attend last year. And this year's theme was power, purpose, and the meaning of food. Now, it was two solid days of nonstop conference action. So two days of fascinating panelists and discussions and amazing meals and talking and networking and drinking and eating on topics like the new meanings of sustainable and local and the future of school food and the intersection of food and technology and the emergence of women in farming, women in farming and all kinds of great stuff like that. But of all of those things, of all the conference topics and all of the presentations, in what has to be nearly perfect timing in my life, what really captivated me at the conference was the presentation by the founders of a company called EXO. EXO, EXO.com, about eating crickets as a food source. Now, yet again, I am quite aware of the fact that the rest of the world has a taste for insects and that plenty of people around the world insects. What did I say before? Yes, 80% of the world's population eat more than 1,500 different species of insects. And I've traveled through insect-eating countries, and I've been hearing for years about how insects are the likely answer to the globe's imminent food shortage disaster. But there they were, right in front of me, the crickets. They, were, they had crickets there to add to their presentation. They were there in a little heated cricket tank. It wasn't really a cage. It was more like a, an aquarium. 
just sitting on the stage under the tent where the conference was being held, just at the feet of the presenters and the moderators, one of whom was me. And they made their sweet little chirpy cricket sounds all day, and they were actually mic'd. And so the sweet little chirpy cricket sounds were picked up by the mics and floated out over the audience and made it sound like summer in the cold Ohio autumn air. It was really nice. Now, if those crickets had gotten out of that little cage and they'd crawled across the stage while the panelists were speaking, would we have all reached down and smashed them with a shoe? Why are roaches so horrifying, but crickets aren't? Well, that's a good question, and probably has to do with the fact that crickets don't scavenge in your garbage and eat other animals' poop, and that roaches don't make those cute noises. And, you know, crickets have always had more of a positive kind of association, but... Let's discuss. Now, the presenters of the Cricket Talk were the two founders of this brand of Cricket protein products called Exo. Like I said, as in exoskeleton, as in the outer shell of the Cricket. They make a high protein. F- they call it a flour, but it's not really a flour. It's more like a powder. I mean, it doesn't have any gluten. It doesn't behave like wheat flour. When you, It's more like a protein powder, like a soy powder or whey powder. They make it out of the dehydrated roasted crickets, and then they incorporate the flour into these protein bars that they're selling called Exo Bars. The founders of Exo, Greg Suitz and Gabby Lewis, and their creative director, Chef Kyle Connaughton, presented a couple of amazing statistics about crickets as food that really kind of blew me away. The farming of crickets is completely, virtually completely sustainable which is kind of amazing. I can't remember what he said, how many crickets you can fit in a box the size of a shoebox, but it's like something like 12,000. I'll have to look that up. I can't remember. They only eat plant matter, and so they can be fed on things like orange peels or vegetable scraps or grain. These crickets basically get like a grain meal. Now, personally, I would rather be eating grass-fed crickets who are grazing in wild pastures and not grain-fed crickets, but it would be difficult to capture that many wild crickets because you need something like 70,000 of them to make a pound of flour. So I'm willing to compromise on the grain feeding. Their poop is really tiny. I know this because I asked how big their poop is. It's almost invisible to the naked eye and it's vegetarian and has no potentially harmful microbes in it like other animals manure so you can use it you can spread it on plants and use it and you can farm millions and millions of crickets in very small spaces very quickly so unlike livestock they also produce virtually no methane and they're 20 times more efficient to farm as a source of protein than beef and of 100 grams of cricket you yield 69 percent protein versus 39% for sirloin or 31% for chicken. Insects are exceptionally nutritious. As for nutrition, crickets are high in protein and low in saturated fats and low in sugars, and they're a complete protein, like animal protein, containing all the essential amino acids and are high in micronutrients like iron and calcium and B vitamins, and crickets actually contain more iron than beef. Uh Uh-huh. Plus, they're cleaner feeders because unlike shrimp and crabs and lobsters, they're seafaring cousins. Crickets aren't scavengers. They're not eating decayed poop and dead animal detritus and other rotting stuff off the ocean floor. That's the reason why shellfish isn't kosher, by the way. It's that. It's that they're scavengers and they eat decaying dead stuff. I mean, I still like shellfish. It's delicious. I don't mind that it's eating decaying dead stuff. But, you know, when you think about it, There's a little bit of an ick factor there. 
Now, I raised my hand during the Q&A to ask whether crickets or any other insect are kosher or halal, for that matter, because I'm always interested in where these seemingly random lines are drawn between what's kosher and what's not. And I was told that there's actually no real precedent as Westerners have no history of insect eating. But according to some interpretations of Leviticus, crickets, along with grasshoppers and locusts and katydids, are indeed kosher as they have jointed legs and they hop on the ground, which is the description of a kosher insect. It's contentious exactly which type of cricket Leviticus was referring to. So they're not yet able to attain official kosher certification. So you know what that means? No low-carb cricket flour matzah for me this spring at Passover. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more about eating crickets. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food and crickets. With me, Erica Wides, on Heritage Radio Network. And that was my friend Chris Hal from Came 5 Vineyard with a new ad drop for us. New script there. Nice job. So I had read over the past couple of years, I'd read and heard about these guys before, the cricket guys. They've been in the news. They've been getting lots of press. And Kyle Knotten, who's their consulting creative director, chef guy, is a friend of a friend of mine. But And I, you know, it was like on my radar, but not quite penetrating. But this time I felt really convinced. I was, I, I was a cricket convert. I was, I was sold. I, he, they had me. I drank the cricket Kool-Aid. This time I felt really convinced. Those statistics convinced me, and I wanted to be a cricket eater too. I was sold. So where do I sign up? Well, for now, EXO only makes and sells their bars. Now, you know how I feel about most bars. And by bars, I mean like power bars, protein bars, basically the one foodiness item that became... The inspiration and the foundation of this show was the bar. Because I feel like bars represent all that's wrong in food and foodiness. And these guys are making bars. Most bars, too sweet, too much sugar, too many chemicals, too many synthetic vitamins. The protein comes from whey powder. All kinds of problems. Too much food, not enough. I mean, too much foodiness. Not nearly enough real food. Now, the Exo bars... They're all so sweet. They still have too much sugar in them for me because I don't want my bars to be sweet. But they also have 10, 10 grams of protein in them. And I would choose an Exo bar over any other bar any day just for the quality of the protein source. Because I would rather eat the cricket flour protein than the whey protein or the soy protein, which is even worse. Industrial whey or soy powder versus free-range cricket powder? Yes, please. So are crickets food or are crickets foodiness? Well, duh. I mean, they're food, obviously. Are cricket protein bars food or foodiness? Mm, I'm going to give them food. 
simply for being so bold and focused on sustainability and the future of food production around the world. Most bars are foodiness, promising to deliver the same or even better results as the original food, but not delivering anything at all. But I think in this case, I'm giving it to them. And I would actually like to just try the bulk powder, you know, the powder myself. And they'll be selling a bulk powder eventually when they can ramp up production enough to do that. But um, at the conference, as a lucky conference attendee, not only were we given complimentary bars, but we were about to eat a very special dinner that night, a dinner built around alternative proteins. And the first one of the first courses was going to be cricket soba. So that evening, in the sprawling greenhouses of the chef's garden, amidst the plants and the lights and candles, was the longest table I have ever seen. Like, you almost couldn't see the other end of it. It was so long. It was a table set for 180 people. It's hard to imagine how long that is, but it was a long table. Seriously long. So we all sat down, and dinner began, and speeches were made, and Jose Andres was there, which was very exciting. He was the keynote speaker, and Ted Allen, and all kinds of chefs, and all kinds of food people from all over the world. It was very exciting. I was sitting with new friends. And we were served, along with multiple paired wines and beers for each course, which caused a little bit of drama. Not really drama, just there was a lot of drinking. Multiple courses made up of high-protein grains, seasonal vegetables, lesser-used proteins, and cricket stuff. So we had a course of buckwheat with pickled vegetables and bone marrow and dried beef. And then we had those cricket soba noodles, which were made with root vegetables and dipping sauce. And then we had a heritage corn and oak ash hominy with chicken hearts and coxcombs. And then we had sprouted grains risotto with various forms of offal. That's off-fall, not awful. Then some pre-dessert that I can't remember because by then I was too drunk, but I remember I didn't like it. And then the final dessert, which was an exo flour peanut butter and jelly cake. Now, was all of it delicious in the traditional way of deliciousness? Um, no. Not all of it was, I have to say. Was it fascinating and exciting and challenging? Uh, yeah. Was it helped by all the generous pours of alcohol and the two really cute 25-year-old chef brothers who were sitting across from me who thought I was the funniest MILF they'd ever met? Oh, yes. But it was important, too, because it challenged the norms of food and it challenged our perceptions and it challenged our ideas of protein and what you can do with the lesser used stuff and the odd stuff and the new to us stuff. And that is what the future of food, future of food is going to be. Because it's not going to be made up of big chunks of industrially produced meat with a few overcooked vegetables. It's going to be challenging stuff and out there stuff and stuff we haven't even really thought of eating yet because as great as pastured and sustainably raised and wild and all of that stuff is, there's not going to be enough of it to feed the world. And until we can mass produce it, we can't all afford it yet. But if we sort of think outside the box and we think about how to use up the odd bits and the challenging bits and eat the way that people in the rest of the world eat, then maybe we have a chance. If we don't 
start thinking about the challenging stuff and the out there stuff and the stuff we haven't even thought about eating yet, we're going to starve eventually because we can't sustain the system as it is today. And that's what the Roots Conference was really all about. The future of food, of connecting through food, of creating partnerships through food, of talking and listening about food, and also about eating bugs. So we'll eat the bugs, or I'll eat the bugs. Most bu- well, most bugs, except the cockroaches. I mean, give me enough sips of wine or beer paired with something, and I'll taste almost anything. You know, I'll eat horse, I'll eat crickets, I'll eat natto, I'll eat Trix yogurt if I have to, but I don't know. I can't get past the cockroach. I know there are cultures that eat cockroaches, but I, having stepped on many over the years, I just can't do it. Now, I'm saving my two exo bars that I got at the conference for as a little gift. I'm going to save them. I'm not eating them yet. I'm saving them up for my next big hike when I need a nice dose of protein and I don't want anything too sweet, along with a bar, just coincidentally, that I found a week or so ago at Whole Foods that's made from lamb and that's not sweet and that I hope is pretty tasty. There's a whole line now of these bars that are made from meat. They're not quite jerky. They're not quite like Lara bar. They're made from meat. I haven't tried it yet. I'm really excited about that, actually, because I actually had that idea once years ago when I was hiking. I thought, I basically want to eat right now a chunk of protein that's not sweet, not made from nuts, not an egg. What do do I want? And I thought, I want like a handful of chewy, semi-dried lamb. And look, someone else did it, which happens to me a lot. So I'm saving those bars and I'm saving my lamb bars for my next big hike. And oh, yeah. So when I got back to New York from Ohio, the roaches, they were still not quite so gently going into that good night. They were still raging against the dying of the light, but in fewer and fewer numbers. So the poison seemed to have worked because, you know, sometimes you do have to pull out the big guns. And so for now... The poison worked. We'll see when those roaches become immune to it and they become the superbugs and eventually they just, you know, take over the planet and they start farming us as food instead and they'll have the last laugh because, um, you know, it's really their world and we just live in it. And then maybe one day a roach will have a radio show where he'll sit around and discuss whether humans are food or foodiness and maybe they'll be making power bars out of us and all kinds of snacks and treats and there'll be human-flavored yogurt and puffed humans coated in vegetable dust and human jerky and who knows i mean we're just merely a blip on the evolutionary timeline so it's really hard to say but until then remember if you don't want to eat shit i recommend eating crickets instead because crickets don't eat shit like roaches do and keep tuning in to let's get real the cooking show about finding preparing eating food here on heritage radio network remember to follow me on twitter please at let's get real show and check out my huffington post blog and what else can you do oh yeah find us on facebook too we would love to hear from you i'm always open to comments and questions from listeners i love that and thanks to jack insley in the control room and ben kaplan who wrote my theme music and thanks to the chef's garden and the roots conference and the guys from exo for the free cricket stuff it was pretty cool we're gonna have them on the show one of these days they couldn't make it today so we'll see you next week bye Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.